Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. There will be no Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week for this week. They did a spoof of old school wrestling this past week on Impact, and it has nothing to continue on with the stories that's been happening on Impact Wrestling, so that's the reason why I'm not covering Impact this week. Just want to put that out there, and also before the end of this episode, I will be talking about news that came out that concerned CM Punk, like last of his weeks or time with AEW, talking about the disciplinary uh, committee, but I'll get more into that towards the end of the episode, but with that being said, let's start the show. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Randy Orton. Randy Orton will come down to the ring, and since he's the first man to open up the show, and Randy has been gone for, what, a year and a half, Randy will get the love and adulation from the fans, and you can tell Randy is loving this. Randy comes down all black. He's just soaking in the fans' love. He starts dapping it up with a couple fans around the ringside area, even gives a kid an autograph. I mean, Randy is just... Randy right here you don't really get to see this much love from Randy or you really get to see Randy just showing people love but he's been gone for a year and a half so he makes the best out of this before he gets in the ring and get down to business Randy will say that he's been through a lot of things and accomplished many different things in his career however he never got to compete in war games so when Cody gave him the call he picked up and he joined Cody's team Randy will then talk about the bloodline Randy will say that he has receipts for every member of the bloodline, and he does mean every member, and he's going to deliver those receipts with an RKO. Now, Rhea Ripley would come down to the ring and try to aggravate Randy. She will say that she never thought of Randy being the guy to return favors or even make favors for people, uh, be a guy that would team up with someone that put him out on the shelf for a period of time, or even let his return be outshined by someone else. Make a mention of Punk kind of outshining Randy's whole return here. Rhea would tell Randy that things has changed since he's been gone, saying that Judgment Day now runs the WWE and the bloodline has collapsed. Randy will let Rhea know that he's been watching the product and let her know that Daddy is home. So Randy will also let Rhea know that no one tells him what to do. This will have Rhea tell Randy that that's disrespect and now Randy is on the list of enemies of the Judgment Day so you know where this goes into an ambush. JD McDonough Dominic Mysterio would attack Randy from behind but that doesn't last long. Randy would beat up on both JD and Dominic hitting JD with an RKO Dominic will leave the ring with Rhea Randy would tell Dom not to go anywhere because he's going to fight Adam Pearce to get a match with Dominic later in the night which that happens so we would get Randy Orton versus Dominic Mysterio later in the night now, we go off to our first official match of the night. It'll be a number one contenders tag team uh, matchup. Well, tag team turmoil matchup, which is two tag teams will compete. And then once that person eliminates one team, another team will come out. And this will continue going until the last team comes out and you get the whole deal. It's a survivor style matchup. So we have DIY and Alpha Academy coming out to start the match. DIY would eliminate Alpha Academy by hitting meat in the middle to Akira Tozawa to eliminate Alpha Academy. Then Indishir will be the next team out, and they too would be eliminated when Johnny Gargano would roll up Shear to win. Now Indishir's out, next up is the Kree Brothers. 
The Creed Brothers would eliminate DIY by hitting the Brutus Ball on Johnny Gargano. So DIY is out. Next up, The New Day. The New Day, they too would fall victim to the Brutus Ball and be eliminated. So New Day is out. The final tag team in this match was Imperium. So it's down to the Creed Brothers and Imperium. Creed Brothers would eliminate Imperium with a Brutus Ball on Giovanni Vinci. So the Creed Brothers have to eliminate the last official team, Imperium, the Creed Brothers, or the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Next up, we have Cody Rhodes coming down to the ring. He would talk about the success of War Games. Cody would thank each member of his team, especially Randy, for coming through, but allowing Cody to hit Damian Priest with the crossroads to win the match that his father created. So you get this little uh, emotion out of Cody here. And then Cody would then switch up on his sentiment and start talking about business. Cody would make the announcement that he has officially entered the Royal Rumble. And once he makes that announcement, the lights will go out and you will be left with a spotlight on Cody Rhodes. Cody doesn't know what's going on, so you start seeing him looking around. And on the Titantron, you will see Shinsuke Nakamura appear. And Shinsuke Nakamura has been telling everyone that he's been waiting for someone to come out. And apparently it's been Cody. Shinsuke has been waiting for Cody all this time. Shinsuke tells Cody that he is tired of waiting and he's going to be bringing chaos to Cody. So when the lights pop back on, Shinsuke Nakamura is behind Cody Rhodes holding his own throat. And once Cody turns around, Nakamura will spray red mist in Cody's face. And this has Cody on the ground trying to wipe his face. Security, backstage personnel will come out to make sure Shinsuke doesn't hurt Cody. And that's all we have here. I like that we have Shinsuke right here messing with Cody right now because this is Cody something to do until... Royal Rumble happens in January, so you still got all of December for Cody and Nakamura to do what they got to do, and it gives Nakamura more screen time, one, and two, it gives people time to look at Nakamura, and hopefully they give Nakamura something else to do after he's done with Cody. Now, my thing is, I hope we get a more vicious side of Nakamura. We already gotten that with him going after Seth's back whenever he was teaming, well, not teaming, going against Seth for the World Heavyweight Championship, but now with Nakamura seemingly losing the feud, which not seemingly, he did lose the feud against Seth, uh, Nakamura needs something else. He needs to continue being on this role of being a menace, being someone that just wants to just destroy and create chaos. It's the perfect, like, it's the perfect feud for Nakamura to be in. And also, by the way, for Nakamura to say he's going to bring chaos to Cody, I thought that was perfect because anybody that has not watched New Japan, there is a group in New Japan right now called Chaos, and that group was created by Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura created the group Chaos, and for him to say Chaos here, it just, again, just kind of brought a little smile to my face because that's kind of a little thumbs up, little Easter egg for people that's been paying attention to Nakamura's career. So, again, that was cool for them to uh, allow Nakamura to kind of cheat that in even though people want to say, Joe, you're kind of bugging. Trust me, I'm not. But I'm glad to give Shinsuke and Cody both something to do until it's time for Royal Rumble's uh, season in January. Now, next up, we have Bronson Reed going against Ivar, who had Valhalla in his corner. This match will end in a double countout when both big men were fighting around the ring into the timeskeeper area as the referee was making the count. Once the count got to 10, that was it. I mean... 
it's a big man going against big man matchup. Nothing more, to be completely honest. Uh, the big thing to really take away was that after the match, you start seeing him fight into the crowd. Uh, Ivar, he would hit a kind of like cannonball off of two crates, but you got security around, so the security kind of would eat that. And then you would get security and backstage personnel separating Bronson Reed and Ivar because these two guys don't like one another. So we probably might get another match between the two next week. Next up, we have Zoe Stars going against Nia Jax. Nia Jax would win a match by pinfall by hitting the Annihilator. That's the name for Nia using the Bonsai drop. So Nia Jax wins against Zoe Stark. Next up, we have Seth Rollins coming down to the ring. Seth isn't in his like usual like dancey type feeling right here. He kind of comes out all like mad a little bit, you kind of can tell, because Seth's been anticipating what's going to happen here, and he even lets people know, point blank, because once Seth does this whole Seth freaking Rollins deal, you hear the fans do the whole whoa, singing for him, but you also hear a group of fans chant CM Punk, and for people that were not aware of this, once CM Punk came out at Survivor Series, the television cameras didn't catch the complete, like, freak out that Seth Rollins had. Seth Rollins was outside of the cage. He was freaking out. You had Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and like a couple referees kind of like making sure Seth doesn't get to Punk. He started flipping Punk off, telling Punk to go F himself. I mean, so Seth has some hatred towards CM Punk. That's what it is. So when the fans are chanting CM Punk at him, Seth kind of expected this and he even like rallies for them to continue doing this some more. He says, come on, do it. Get it out of your system. They do the CM Punk thing, and then Seth will say that he doesn't have time to deal with that hypocrite. So, Seth would then switch over from that to talk about the World Heavyweight Championship. And Seth says that he wants to defend it. Seth will mention that he talked to Adam Pearce, and before any more of that could be said, Drew McIntyre will come down to the ring. Drew will congratulate Seth for winning at War Games and extend his hand out for Seth to shake. Seth would shake it. Drew would tell Seth that he has decided to put his issue with Jay Uso on the back burner and wants another shot at the World Championship because he had Seth beat at Crown Jewel but didn't capitalize on it because he had compassion. But all of that is gone and he just wants to get back to being a winner. He wants to get back to paying uh, close attention on things that actually matter. And the one thing that really matters to him right now is that World Heavyweight Championship. So you would get Seth's response to this. Seth would tell Drew that he's always respected Drew's honesty, but he can't give Drew the match, even though Drew is a guy that kind of deserves a match. There's other guys that Seth sees that are more favorable to give a shot to. Drew would say, okay, I respect that you're the champ, but can I ask, who's going to be the guy? Seth would tell Drew is going to be Jey Uso. So we have Seth going against Jey Uso next week for the World Heavyweight Championship. And once Drew hears that it's Jey, you will see Drew just like drop the mic and he just start going into a trance. His face doesn't break, but you could kind of tell that he's breaking mentally. Seth will go over to Drew and say, hey man, it's nothing personal. And Drew would headbutt Seth and it would make even Drew bleed a little bit when he does so. Drew would start beating up on Seth and say that this is a personal attack. 
and he mentions that he already beat Jay already, so he feels that he should be the next one up to face Seth for the World Heavyweight Championship, and as Drew's beating up on Seth, Jay Uso will come out to make the save and beat up on Drew and send Drew out of the ring. So you have that. Drew is not... He's not done with Jay. It's just not it. It's not it's not possible for Drew to be done. And it's more telling of this because we go backstage when Drew's walking backstage. Sami Zayn walks up on Drew and he tells Drew, listen, you have everything for your 6'5 made of muscle. Dude, you got to get over this. Drew tells him again, you don't know what it feels like. And Sami tells him, oh, I don't. I don't know what it feels like to be screwed out of a championship, screwed out of winning in front of my family. I've had that happen to me against Roman. Dude, you've been a former two-time champion. You got to get over this. Drew wouldn't take it what Sammy said. And he said, you know what? You're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe Seth's right. Maybe I do got to just get over it and start climbing my way up from the back. You know what? I'll speak to Adam Pierce about that, and I'll get a match next week. And I'll get it against you. So we got Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn next week. And uh, that should be special. Now, next up, we would get a women's tag team championship matchup. Tegan Knox and Natalia going against the champions, Chelsea Green and Piper Nevin. Chelsea and Piper would retain the championships, but Piper would hit a running splash on Tegan Knox to retain the titles. There you go. Now, we go over to our main event match. Randy Orton going against Dominic Mysterio with JD McDonough. But before that, we would get a backstage moment with Jay Uso walking up on Randy. Jay would mention to Randy about what Randy said earlier, saying that he's going to get at all the Bloodline members because he hasn't forgotten what the Bloodline members did to him. And Jay would tell Randy, listen, I saw what you said, and I want to let you know that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything that I did. Um, I can't go back. I've been trying to change. I've been, like, Cody's sees the work I've been doing, and Randy has to stop and listen. I, I know. I've been watching. You've been watching Cody's back. You've been watching a lot of guys back. Cody trusts you. Sammy trusts you. A lot of guys trust you. So I just want to let you know, me and you, you're good. As long as you're not connected with the bloodline, you're good. We're straight. And Jay said, we're good. Cody, Randy would say, yeah, we're straight. So you see Randy and Jay dap up. I think there's still some nefariousness here because Randy is still a snake. He's called the Viper for a reason. People kind of forget that. So people are going to be anticipating Randy to kind of strike at Jay because Randy isn't going to let that go. And he says he got receipts of all members of Bloodline. So expect that to happen sometime down the line. But on this night, it wasn't the case. So we get to Randy versus Dominic. This was a Randy Orton match. Randy hasn't wrestled on Raw in a whole year and a half. So you kind of can tell what happened. Randy will win. He will win by hitting the RKO of Dominic to win the match. Solid match, but this was a Randy Orton match. No more needs to be said. Now, we go to the big thing that everybody wanted to talk about. From the weekend to Monday Night Raw, the reason why everybody waited and watched Monday night to see what CM Punk would say. Now, usually at this point, I will have a like audio clip to play for you. But I don't. I'm not playing an audio clip from what CM Punk said because CM Punk, ah, I like CM Punk. I like the guy. However, CM Punk would just basically say he's back. He's home. And it pays for him to even say that, but it's the truth. Because this is the place where he's been made. 
there's no more to be said about that. Whenever he said he's home, I said, oh, that's nasty work. That's crazy because this promo from Punk doesn't hit in the way that he talked on AEW two years ago. It doesn't hit the same way the way that he talked on AEW Collision this year when he came back from being suspended. Punk wasn't able to get into his bag the way that we wanted him to actually talk. The only thing Punk said was, I'm home. People in the back ingratiated me. You got people back there that loved me. They dapped me up. It was nothing but love and admiration. And they had to stop and say, well, maybe not everyone. And he would basically say, listen, WWE, you guys been having people trying to compete with each other for the best, say they're the best, but they can't be the best because the best in the world has been gone for 10 years. But now that I'm back, they could try. So we have that reason here. Punk would go off. He would say that, and then once he's done, he would look into the camera and say, I'm back. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make money. So I can expect a lot of people online probably had fun with that little clip of him saying, I'm here to make money part. But this promo here was really tame, and it was really like a whole nothing-esque type of promo. To be honest, this was literally that. If I can say one thing, if I had the MGF clip, I would say this is... PG Punk right here. He wasn't able to get into the type of business that we know Punk can actually get to. Oh yeah, he also did mention that his wife AJ sends her love and regards to everyone. So that got a nice pop from the crowd too. But again, nothing more needs to be said about Punk being here for right now. Again, this was his first promo back in WWE after 10 years. I wish it would have more to say, but he'll probably save that for later down the line. But yeah, that was basically it. Now, with that being said, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to NXT. NXT will open up with the NXT Tag Team Championships being defended. The families, Tony D'Angelo and Stax, going against Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. The family would retain their Tag Team Championships by pinfall by hitting a double back flapjack on Angel Garza to win the matchup and retain the Tag Team titles. Solid matchup to open up NXT. The whole deal between Angel Garza and Humberto going against the family is that Angel and Humberto want to be tag champions. That's all this was about. And uh, you saw Angel and Humberto try dirty tactics. Humberto would block the referee so the referee didn't see Angel Garza hit stacks with a low blow. They hit him with a J-driller. And once Angel pinned stacks, stacks would kick out of it, but he would do the Roman Reigns method by lifting his arms up in low-blowing Angel as he kicks out of the pin. So you get that um, situation from the family, Angel Garza and Humberto here. Uh, towards the end, I did like how you see the family hit their tag finish on Angel. And you see Humberto outside of the ring. You see Tony look at Stax and he tells him, I love you like a brother. And Stax has no idea what Tony's doing. And Tony would just throw Stax out of the ring onto Humberto. And you see Tony pin Angel. I like that because that's going to play in more into a couple more matches. That's probably going to happen with the family. With Tony doing whatever he can to retain and keep the tag team titles. So that's probably going to be the downfall of that team when it comes to it. But I do like that they already start adding the little elements for when you know their uh, team is going to dissolve. But not right now. They're the tag team champions. So 
Congrats. Now, we move over to the Iron Survivor qualifying match for this week. This week, we had Jerry the King Lawler picking the opponents, well, the participants for the Iron Survivor qualifying matches for the men and women. For the women, he would choose Keanu James going against Kalani Jordan. And for the men, it would be Braun Breaker going against Eddie Thorpe. The first one will be the women's Iron Survivor qualifying matchup. Keanu James going against Kalani Jordan. Kalani would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Roxanne Perez. When Kiana would hit the 401k on Kalani and then grab her by the hair, looking to hit some move, the bell would ring. Now, Kiana will look at the bellkeeper's area and see Roxanne ringing the bell. You will see Kiana uh, saying some words towards Roxanne's direction, and this will allow Kalani Jordan to kick Kiana in the head and then finish her with a split-legged moonsault to win the matchup. So now, so far in the Women's Iron Survivor uh, matchup, that will have in that deadline, you have Kalani Jordan, Blair Davenport, Lash Legend, and Tiffany Stratton. Now next week, there'll be one uh, last spot to be filled for this Iron Survivor matchup, and you're going to have both men and women, whoever didn't win their qualifying matches, they'll be competing in a last chance match, more likely probably a fatal four-way, or you'll probably see a gauntlet match the way that you saw uh, the tag teams had their gauntlet match on Raw. But by the way, you see with that next week on NXT. And the reason why, by the way, Roxanne Perez did interrupt in this match is to give Kiana some payback. Because whenever Roxanne had her qualified match against Lash Legend, Kiana would come out and disrupt the matchup and cost Roxanne her opportunity to go into the Iron Survivor matchup. So this was Roxanne just basically paying the favor back to... Keanu James. Now, after this, we'll get the Andre Chase press conference. We'll get the whole big conspiracy. We'll get the whole big reasoning for why uh, Chase used acts in a way that has been acting. And the big thing is that comes out of this press conference is that Chase U has a gambling and mishandlings of funds situation happening. And they owe money to the family. They don't say that they owe the money to the family, but a representative for the family is at the press conference because they give you the presentation of Andre Chase coming through the door. You see a woman that's been right beside Tony and Stax these past couple weeks standing right there looking at Andre Chase. Andre Chase goes to the podium and he talks about the gambling and the mishandlings of funds at Chase U. And they do the whole press conference bit, even having asking people about the questions. Well, letting people ask some questions. And one of the questions would be, um, who do you owe money to and how much is it? He says, um, how much isn't going to be explained right now, but it's a lot. And to who? That's not the case. But for the past couple weeks, or at least I'll say a month, you will see Tony D'Angelo and Stax go after Andre and say, you owe us. So I think this is going into that. No, no, I don't think. I know. So this is where we're going. Um, I think Chase U is going to do something drastic. They'll probably get a match between Andre and Tony D, whether it be a singles match or tag match, probably a tag. And you're probably going to see Chase U cheat to... When to get their debt free away from the family. 
because I think Chase U going into the direction of cheating is probably the next best thing because people like the family. I think Chase U turning heel would be a great thing for Andre Chase, uh, Duke Hudson, Thea Hale, and JC Jane. But again, why the way and see as that story goes, but I'm glad they at least gave us something here with that. Now, on to the men's Iron Survivor qualifying matchup. We have Braun Breaker going against Eddie Thorpe. Braun would win the match by pinfall, hitting a spear on Eddie. Eddie came into this match already wounded. He already had, like, his ribs wound up, like it was bandaged up. So Braun just basically had his way with Eddie. Eddie, towards the end of the match, would try to get some hits off, but that would just piss off Braun. So when he hit the spear, he had some oomph to it to uh, win the match. So, in the men, Iron Survivor matchup, you so far have Josh Briggs, Diet Jack, Trick Williams, and now Braun Breaker. And as I said, both men and women Iron Survivor qualifying match next week will be the last chance because both of them need one more participant to fill out that whole uh, match type for deadline. So we'll see who will be the last participant in both the men and women's Iron Survivor uh, match. Now, next up, we'll have the NXT champion Ilya Dragunov going against Nathan Frazier. Ilya would win the match by pitiful after hitting three H-bombs, which are the forearm smash to the jaw of Nathan Frazier. Now, Ilya hit three just to put an exclamation point on Nathan Frazier because he wants nobody to doubt his credibility or his willingness to sacrifice what he has for his family because that's the reason why this match is happening between Ilya and Nathan Frazier. Last week on NXT, you had the video packages of both Baron Corbin and Ilya Dragunov. Ilya talking about what he gave up to be at NXT, his family over there in Germany, while Braun, well, not Braun, Baron, he's over in his video package talking about everything that he has. He has family, he has the lifestyle, he has the cars, he has the money, but he's missing the NXT championship. And Nathan Frazier would say that, yeah, he's cool with Ilya, but reality is... Baron Corbin is the guy that you will want his type of life. You don't want to uh, be here without your family. You don't want to be somewhere without your family. So when Ilya hears this, he gets upset with Nathan Frazier, and that's the reason why we have this match. And again, he hits Nathan Frazier towards the end of the match with three H-bombs just to put an exclamation point so nobody will question his loyalty or credibility to being the best and him sacrificing what he's had to sacrifice to become the NXT champion. So, once he beats Nathan Frazier, Ilya is standing over Nathan, and he kind of extends his hand out to Nathan, and before Nathan can actually shake Ilya's hand, Baron Corbin, he would pop up on the screen. And again, he gets at Ilya by saying, man, look what you did to your once-called friend, just because he said that he would rather have my life than yours. Because he said, your my life was better than yours, which is a fact. And again, Bear is trying to poke the bear of Ilya, saying, hey, I'm going to take the title away from you at deadline, because that's the one thing that's missing from me. And once I take it away from you, you can go back and scurry back to your family in Germany. And that's what this whole rivalry between Baron Corbin and Ilya is all about. Ilya, he wants to be NXT champion, but he's been sacrificing so much to be this. While Baron, he has everything, but he just missing the championship, and that's what he wants. So, deadline's to be a good match between Baron and Ilya, but next week will be the last time you see them come face-to-face before their match at deadline. 
Now, next up, we have Ariana Grace going against Carmen Petrovic. Ariana would win the match by pinfall by hitting Wasteland on Carmen. No more need to be said about this. The big thing to take away from this is that Joe Gacy took the ring bell from uh, the ringside area because Joe Gacy was underneath the ring before this match happened. You saw him have a video package of him talking about how society sees him as a guy underneath them and that they want Joe Gacy to be underneath them. And we're getting Joe Gacy just basically becoming unhinged since he's lost his group schism. So what they're doing with Joe Gacy, being like this outcast guy, I would like to see where they're going with this next. So I'm still holding out faith. But uh, right now, we just got to wait and see. Now, next up, we have Lexus King going against Brooks Jensen with Josh Briggs in his corner. The reason why this match comes about is because Lexus King would walk up on Brooks Josh Briggs and Fallon Henley backstage and Lexus would basically try to stir the pot saying that Josh Briggs is the star and Brooks is kind of like the tag along guy because he never got picked by any of the Hall of Famers while Briggs and Fallon did. So that's the reason why we have this match here. King would win the match by pinfall thanks to Carmelo Hayes rushing to the ring to get on the apron. Josh Briggs would pull Melo off the apron and you will see personnel come out to the ring and try to separate Briggs and Mello. And this allow King to hit a double arm cross neckbreaker on Brooks to win the match. Now, the reason why Carmelo came out here was the exact same reason why Roxanne interfered in Kiana's match. Lexus King cost Carmelo his matchup against Josh Briggs. And that cost Carmelo the shot to be in the Iron Survivors matchup at deadline. So Carmelo wanted to get Alexis King, and he just couldn't. And this continuing the story that we have here with Alexis King kind of sticking his nose in Carmelo's business. Because earlier in the night, you would see an anonymous video. The guy who's been constantly just getting videos from different NXT wrestlers. And is dating back to the night that... Trick Williams got attacked. You see Trick Williams backstage, like, celebrating. And Lexus King, he will see Trick Williams, and he will follow him. And we don't see the action after the fact. So now we're all saying that Lexus King was the one that attacked Trick Williams. And this is where we're at. I don't think Lexus King attacked Trick at all. I think this is still playing up to the ultimate review. Uh, reveal later down the line that it was somebody else, whether it be Mello or still in my best like thought process, I think it would be great if it was Wesley, me personally because Wes is the guy that's constantly looking after trying to regain that North American Championship and beat Dominic Mysterio while Trick Williams, he was able to beat Dominic Mysterio on his first try so that probably ate up Wes and that probably got a reason why Wes wants to uh, go after Trick or do what he did at Trick. But again, we'll have to wait and see if that's the case or not. Again, I think that might be the deal, but we'll wait and see with that story. But I like what they're doing right now. It's a cool, is it still a whodunit situation? And right now, people think it's Lexus King, but I don't think so. Now, we go over to the main event. It's a fiddle four-way matchup. Number one contenders for the NXT North American Championship. We have Wesley going against Johnny Gargano. Going against Bronson Reed. Going against Cameron Grimes. This was all former North American champions in this matchup here. 
West would win the match by pinfall by hitting a cardiac kick on Cameron Grimes to win the match. Fun weight in NXT. Bronson Reed, he was the big man in here, so he did all the power stuff because everybody in this match except him was the little guys here. Uh, they would try to take out Bronson in this match, and once Bronson got took out, you know what it was. It turned to a triple threat match, and then once one guy dropped off, then it would came up to a regular one-on-one. We had a moment where Wes went against Johnny Gargano. It was nothing but sportsmanship here uh, until Cameron Grimes got back in, and then it became into a triple threat match again, and then he'll knock one of them off, and then it's Cameron Grimes going against the Wes or Johnny Gargano. And then they'll just continue doing that until Big Bronson got back in and just ran rough shot on everyone. But Bronson Reed Wilkie took out of this match later because Ivar, he will pop up. When Bronson was looking to hit the tsunami, Ivar would get on the ring apron and start attacking Bronson Reed and they would fight all the way to the back. So this is how Bronson would basically be eliminated out of this matchup and it'd just be left to Wes, Johnny, and Cameron, and I feel that those two, three had a great triple threat to basically end the match, but Wes winning was already predetermined, everybody knew this was going to happen, so Wes will be getting another shot at the NXT North American Championship at deadline against Dominic Mysterio, and uh, yeah, that's how NXT will end, so that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite. And Dynamite, I just want to start off by saying Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, or parents, Ty will give birth this past Wednesday. So congratulations to the couple. Um, with that, we get to Dynamite and we open up with Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson will be on commentary for the gold brackets of the Continental Classic um, for this week's episode of Dynamite. And we will start off with the gold bracket, John Moxley going against Jay Lethal. John Moxley would win the match by submission by locking in a sleeper on Jay and making Jay pass out. This was a good match between Jay and John. Uh, Jay Lethal, again, he had a great match with another wrestler last week. He had a great match with um, Swerve. This week, he continues it again with John Moxley. Still on the losing ends on both of those matches, but again, this is just again to show people Jay Lethal deserves to be in this tournament, even though he's losing right now, he's proven to everyone that says that why he, why is he in this tournament? He's proven people why he belongs here and why people should put more respect on uh, Jay Lethal's name. But even though he didn't win, people are at least starting to pay attention to it. But John Moxley, he wins. That was kind of a foregone like conclusion. I don't think anybody thought John Moxley was going to lose to Jay Lethal, to be completely honest. But John Moxley has another win in his uh, win column for the Continental Classic, so now he has two wins, leaving him at six points right now. Next matchup, still going into the Continental Classic on the gold bracket, we have Mark Briscoe going against Roosh. Roosh would win the match by pinfall by hitting uh, the Horns, which is a running drop kick on the bottom uh, corner of the turnbuckle to Mark Briscoe to win the match. Both Mark and Roosh came in with no points, Mark Briscoe lost last week to John Moxley, while Roosh last week lost to Jay White. So both of them had to at least do something here to gain some points. Both guys fought uh, ferociously against one another, but Roosh ultimately took the pin. Well, he took the win here. And uh, now Roosh finally gets his first three points 
in this tournament and Mark is still sitting at a donut for now. Um, next, we'll have the AEW World Champion, MJF, coming out to the ring. He still has a cane, and MJF will talk about Samoa Joe, since that's the man that he'll be facing at World's End. MJF would say that even though he doesn't like the person, he has to respect the man that is Samoa Joe. MJF will tell of a story of discovering TNA, and how when he watched TNA, this was a new band of characters or wrestlers that he's never seen, but out of all of the wrestlers that were on TNA at the time, Samoa Joe stood like above the rest. MGF would even touch on Joe's time in WWE, saying that they were not able to capitalize on his talents and make Joe a world champion. MGF would say that out of all the men that he has faced for the AEW championship, or even his time in AEW, and he would start listing off some guys, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, John Moxley, Samoa Joe is the one guy that MGF would say that he is happy that he was able to survive against. And I find this as a common thread with Samoa Joe. When anybody goes against Samoa Joe, it's always a fight for your life type situation. And it brought me back to the Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe feud that led into their match at Great Balls of Fire, what, a couple of years ago, when Paul Heyman was scared for Brock Lesnar's life because Mojo was the one guy on that roster that Paul Heyman did not want Brock to face at all. And leading up to their match of Great Balls of Fire, Samojo kept putting Brock Lesnar down, whether it be uh, in talking segments or just getting into the physicality of the matter. Samojo was always able to put Brock down. And that was the only guy besides like Drew McIntyre in their little feud that was able to actually put Brock down constantly. So every time someone faces a Samoa Joe, it always seems like they're fighting for their life. And I like that Max like put that in this way of bigging up Samoa Joe. And after MJF would get done praising Samoa Joe, MJF would talk about himself being a day one guy in AEW, having an extraordinary career so far for himself, and how in their match at World's End, MJF promised to give it all against Joe with the bad knee, a bad hip, a bad shoulder, and he would talk about how he's going to retain the AEW World Championship. And at this moment, MGF's all fired up. He breaks his cane and he starts just walking around the ring. And then the lights would start to flicker. Now, the lights would flicker. Four guys would come in the ring. They're all covered in black, head to toe. You don't know who these men are, but one of them has the Devil Mask logo on their back. Three of the guys will hold MGF. The fourth guy, he has a bat. He's staring at MGF. He's looking to hit MGF with that bat. But Samoa Joe will come out and save MGF because he's keeping promise. So when he's told MGF last week that he's going to keep MGF safe until their match at World's End because he had, because Samoa Joe wants a 100% MGF. He doesn't want anything less than that. So once Samoa Joe would take the fourth guy out of the ring, take the bat away from him, all the other guys that's in the ring holding MGF would run out of said ring, and you will see MGF's mojo left in the ring by themselves. The lights will go off once again, and on the Titantron, you would see words start popping up, and it leads to a challenge for MGF and Samojo next week. It says for both MGF and Samojo to team up together to face a team of unknown individuals. So this is basically the masked guy's henchman, I presume. 
So once the light popped back on, MGF Samojo will be in the ring. Joe has the bat in hand. He's trying to tell MGF, don't do it. Don't take the bait. You don't have to do this. MGF would push Joe to the side and say, I'm not dealing with this crap. I already got Samoa Joe breathing down my neck. You're on. Next week, me and Joe face you and another guy. And one by one, I'm going to take the mask off of all of you and unmask every single one of you. So MGF will leave the ring. Joe is looking pissed at MGF because he doesn't want to deal with this. He doesn't want to deal with this crap of who's the behind the devil mask and deal with all these guys. But MGF is making it his mission to unmask who's behind the devil mask and just take them out. So with MGF accepting the challenge, it will be made official. MGF and Samoa Joe will be going against a team of unknown people next week on Dynamite. Now, next up, we have Warlow going against AR Fox. Warlow would win the match by referee stoppage after power bombing AR Fox three times. And the last one that he did, he hit him with a high-powered or high-angled uh, powerbomb, basically reminiscence of Undertaker's last ride powerbomb, what he would do in the early 2000s. So once Warlow does this, the referee will look at AR Fox, see that AR Fox is unresponsive, and just call for the bell. So Warlow is still on his war path. You know he's after MJF. We just don't know when he's going to get MJF. But Warlow is still on that war path here, and I'm liking it still because Warlow has a meaning. This is a Warlow that we wanted to see for some time, the unstoppable, uh, undestructible Warlow here, and it seems that we're getting that here. As long as we keep this Warlow up, that's all that truly matters, to be honest. Now, next up, we have the trios match of Isaiah Cassidy and the Hardys going against Top Flight and Action Andretti. This is Dante Martin's first match back since he got injured earlier this year at, I believe it was Supercard of Honor in the four-way tag match for the Ring of Honor Tag Team title ladder match. So you get Andretti here with Top Flight. Top Flight and Action Andretti would win the match by pinfall when Dante Martin would hit Isaiah Cassidy with a spinning half-Nelson slam to win the match for his team. Again, anytime that Dante Martin got in the ring, they were cheering for him. When he was out on the apron, they would chant for they want Dante Martin in the ring. Again, Dante Martin is one of those guys where in 2021, when the pandemic was starting to come out and it was starting to disappear slowly and everybody was starting to get back to in front of the crowds, Dante Martin was a guy that was being pushed because his brother Darius Martin was on the shelf at the time and AEW started putting eggs in the basket of Dante Martin. And people started to see what Dante Martin could do. So when Dante Martin went down after his brother Darius Martin came back earlier this year, like at the beginning of this year, everybody felt bad for Dante because everybody saw the... Everybody was able to see what AEW saw in Dante. So now having him back, everybody feels happy. Everybody feels ecstatic. And for me, I feel happy and I feel ecstatic because Top Flight's back and that adds a new team into the... AEW tag team division and hopefully they do something and if not the tag team division the trios division with themselves and action and dreading they do something with the trios championships only thing I'm waiting for now is Mark Quinn to come back so Isaiah Cassidy could have his tag partner back and we can get private party back and we can get Daniel Garcia teaming up with private party all three New York guys doing their business together 
that would be great, but we'll have to wait and see for that. But I'm happy that Dante was back here. Now, next up, we have the TBS Championship matchup. Julia Hart defending her title against Emi Sakura in a house rules match. And the special stipulation for this was that submissions could not end the matchup. So Julia Hart would win the match by pinfall with a sliding clothesline, then a moonsault to win the match. As I said, submissions could not end the match. If it would, if it was able to, Julia still would have won because she was able to lock in her submission move on Amy Sakura. Amy did tap out, and the referee had to shout at Julia, telling her that submissions do not count. So again, even if it was submissions involved, Julia still would have won because this is Julia's second title defense. She already defended it once against Lady Frost this past episode of Collision. So Julia is still getting into her title defenses, making this basically being the TV title for the women's division. And I'm all for it because Julia Hart, she has the presentation. The people love her. Put her on screen some more. That's all that really matters at this point with Julia, to be honest. Next up, we have the TNT champion, Christian Cage, come down to the ring with security flanking him behind. Christian would be in the ring. Christian would start off by calling Adam Copeland to the ring, but Adam doesn't come out. Christian will once again call Adam out, and again, Adam doesn't come out. And at this point, Christian starts to feel less of a bravado. His gumption will start to disappear, and Christian, you can see in his face, he starts to feel ignored, and he starts to feel, like, almost ashamed. You can see it's written all on Christian's face, and Christian will once again call Adam out, but this time without all that trepidatious in his voice, and it seems like he's humbly calling Adam out. Adam would come down to the ring, and Adam would get in the ring. He would get into Christian's security's face, and Christian would tell Adam, listen, I don't have the security out here for me. I wasn't the guy that did this. This is all Tony Khan. If I want to be honest with you, I don't need the security out here. And to prove it to you, Christian would tell the security to leave the ring. So it would just be him and Adam in the ring. So the security would leave. You have the two former best friends in the ring here. And you would get Christian start trying to basically manipulate Adam. Everybody knows that you grew up with a single mom, Adam. Everybody knows that you didn't have a father figure. And listen, 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 listen. Listen, everybody. Yes, I'm the patriarch of AEW, and I'm in no way suggesting that I'm your father, Adam. I am your brother. And listen, you might not have had a father, but in turn, my father became your father. We, we brought you in like you were one of our own. You went on family trips with us. You sat at the dinner table. You slept over. Listen, when you needed discipline, my dad disciplined you the same way he did his own kids. He picked you up. He brushed you up. He hugged you. He cheered you on. To this day, he's still your biggest fan. And listen, it's, I'm just going to say, man, we weren't just two random guys that were thrown together. I love you, man. So you can see from here, Christian is trying to manipulate Adam by pulling on Adam's personal heartstrings, saying that you didn't have a father figure, but you had my father, all that type of stuff. And Christian's doing this because basically he doesn't have 
Luchasaurus or Killswitch and Nick Wayne by his side right now because Adam Copeland took him out all last week. He took Nick Wayne out last week on Dynamite with a concerto and he took Killswitch, Luchasaurus out on Collision by hitting him with two concertos. So Christian basically has nobody by his side and he's trying to get Adam back on his side to basically forgive him and reform back the tag team of Edge, or better, Adam Copeland and Christian. So Christian would try to plead this to Adam and even bring up Adam's mom saying that, let's do it for your mother. Let's do it. Come on, man. Adam, at first, he buys in and he you can see it in his face. He's kind of weighing out his options. He turns away from Christian Christian sees this as his opportunity. He would try to run over to Adam and hit him with the TNT championship, but Adam would turn back to Christian and kick him right in the nuts, and Christian would drop. Adam would look at Christian, hold the TNT championship, get a mic, and tell Christian, you better sleep with this, clean it off, I don't care what you do, because next week, that TNT championship's coming home with me. And before Adam left the ring... He had a parting gift to leave with Christian. By the way, I almost forgot. Go fuck yourself. So that was Adam's receipt to Christian for Christian telling Adam to go screw himself a month ago. So we have that set up for Adam and Christian's TNT Championship match next week on Dynamite in Montreal. So that should be a good match between the two former best friend turned now rivals. Now we go to our main event. Still in the gold bracket for the Continental Classic, we have Jay White and Swerve Strickland going against each other. Both men with three points to enter this match. One man would leave with now six points, and that person would be Swerve Strickland. Swerve would win the match by pinfall by countering the Blade Runner into a roll-up to win the match. So Swerve now has six points. John Moxley has six points. Roosh and Jay White have three points. Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal have zero points in the Continental Classic for the gold bracket. Now, in the blue bracket of the Continental Classic, we will still have Claudio Castagnoli with three points because he beat Dave Garcia on collision. You have Brody King with three points because he beat Eddie Kingston on collision this past week. So, on this upcoming episode of Collision, we will have the return of Brian Danielson as he goes against Eddie Kingston in the blue bracket. You have Daniel Garcia going against Andrade El Idolo in the blue bracket. And you have Claudio Castagnoli going against Brody King in the blue bracket. So all the participants in the blue bracket will be competing on this upcoming week's episode of AEW Collision. And that's what to look forward to. And the only people so far with points in the blue bracket of the Continental Classic are Claudio Castagnoli and Brody King. Now, with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, we move over to SmackDown, and the big stories that would basically encompass SmackDown would be, one, what brand is Randy Orton going to be choosing? Because you had Nick Aldis trying to sign Randy. Same thing with Adam Pearce, so we find that out at the end of the night. And two, what's going on with damage control? Now, I'll get more into that in a minute. SmackDown will open up. Bianca Belair will come down to the ring. Bianca Belair with Peacock about her team winning at War Games. Bianca would shout out each member of her team. Then Bianca would focus on talking about EO Sky since she is the WWE Women's Champion. Bianca wants to get at EO because she has that title and she wants it back. Now, mentioning EO would have 
Damage Control come out. Every member of Damage Control would come out except for Bailey. You will have Dakota Kai being the mouthpiece for Damage Control and talk about how EO has already beaten Bianca twice. And for Bianca to get another shot at EO, Bianca has to beat every member of Damage Control. So once Dakota Kai says this, out would walk Charlotte Flair and Shotzi to the ring. Charlotte and Shotzi will say they too want a piece of Damage Control. So this will lead to a big brawl between all six of the ladies and Damage Control will get their butts handed to them. So we will go backstage, Damage Control will walk beside one another, and then they'll see Bailey standing right beside herself, and you will see Dakota, EO, just start going over to Bailey, asking her, where was she? Bailey will say, I didn't get the memo. You guys didn't tell me nothing about going out there, because if I was notified, then guess what? That stuff wouldn't have happened to you. And it was announced that Kyrie Sane will be going against Bianca Belair later in the night. So you had Dakota try to tell Bailey, listen, since you have more information and you had a history with Bianca, Kyrie is going to need your help. Can you do that? Bailey would say, Yeah, sure, I'm able to do that. So we get this still with Bailey having this junction with damage control. Bailey still feels like the outcast here and this would come into play later in the night. Now, moving away from this, we get to our first match of the night. It'll be Bobby Lashley with the Street Profits on this side going against Butch. Bobby Lashley would win this match by pinfall when Bobby would execute a spear onto Butch to win the match. This was a good match for Butch. When you see this match, at least when you see it on paper, you automatically assume Bobby's going to beat Butch. But Butch put up one hell of a fight against Bobby Lashley. He was able to do what he got to do, Butch being a great wrestler. He was able to stand his ground with Bobby, but Bobby being just taller and having more muscle match mass over Butch. There was no way that Butch, at least in this realm, the way that he's presented right now was going to beat Bobby. It just wasn't going to happen, but Butch did put up a hell of a fight, but Bobby still got the win. Uh, next up, we have Santos Escobar going against Joaquin Wilde. Santos would win the match by pinfall by executing the Phantom Driver. Again, another match that you see where this whole thing's going. Santos, he's out here to prove a point. He still has some favor for Joaquin Wilde and Toro Cruz. Cruz wasn't here because he got beat up last week on SmackDown by Santos. So he's kind of out. That's why Wilde's out here. Wilde is still trying to preserve the feelings of LWO and try to get some get back for Carlito and Ray. Since Santos was the guy that kind of beat both of those two guys up. As I said before, Santos, he still has some feelings towards Wild and Cruz since he was with them since they were in NXT as Legado de Fantasma. And Santos said it even before he went out there to have this match against Wild that, hey, I still have feelings for those two guys. But if those two guys don't want to side with me, they still want to side with the LWO, looks like I'll just beat the sense into them. So again, you see that Santos wants his boys back with him, but if he got to beat him up to do it, he'll do so. Uh, Santos, as I said, he wins the match by hitting the Phantom Driver. After the match, Santos would grab Wild and just start talking trash to him, beating him up. This is just to point out that he's going to do this to Rey Mysterio when Rey ever comes back. Uh, Dragon Lee, he would come down to the make the save. Dragon Lee would beat up on Santos, and this will have Santos leave the ring, and go to the back. 
Next up, we have the United States champion, Logan Paul. Logan Paul will come to the ring. Logan Paul will let everyone know that next week there will be a tournament to decide who's going to be the number one contender for his United States title. You have Karrion Cross and Santos Escobar, Dragon Lee, Grayson Waller, Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, and a random NXT wrestler, as well as Kevin Owens, in said tournament. Now, it was announced later, later in the night, that Dragon Lee and Santos Escobar will start the tournament next week, as well as Bobby Lashley going against Karrion Cross will start the tournament as well next week. Um, once Logan Paul mentioned Kevin Owens' name, you know the rules in wrestling. Once you mention someone's name, you uh, call them out. Kevin Owens will come down to the ring. Kevin Owens have a history with Logan because Kevin Owens gave Logan Paul his first stunner when Logan Paul was in WWE, at least for a guest appearance in 2021, whenever they started having fans coming back for the first Mania after COVID. Uh, Kevin Owens talked about the first time he met or saw Logan, which was on the Vine app. He even knew at that time that Logan Paul was a jackass and that he knew he wouldn't like him. So again, this kind of already has you, if you're not even knowing the history of Kevin Owens and Logan, how much disdain that Kevin Owens has been having for Logan Paul even before he got into the WWE bubble. So you see this, you get this thing between the two, then Grayson Waller, Austin Theory will come out. Long story lasts long, Kevin Owens will punch Austin Theory in the face, and he will get his match with Grayson Waller up next. Kevin Owens would beat Grayson Waller by pinfall when he would roll up Grayson Waller after Grayson was going after Kevin Owens' hurt hand that Kevin Owens hurt in the match. So, if Grayson Waller didn't focus on Kevin Owens' hurt hand, he probably would have won the match, maybe, but Kevin Owens would win the match. And you can kind of even already tell with this tournament that they're having for these uh, United States number one contenders, you're setting up for Kevin Owens to win the tournament, and I don't think nobody's wrong or have any problem with this. It would have been great for everyone to know who that NXT star would have been or is going to be in this tournament, but I can see them doing something on the next episode of NXT to determine who's going to be in the tournament. So we're getting some intrigue for everybody to watch next episode of NXT for which I hope they at least mention it, uh, a match to determine who's going to be in this United States tournament. But again, we'll have to wait and see about that. But I think everybody knows the finals, or at least not the finals, the winner of the tournament is going to be Kevin Owens. And at first I thought, why isn't LA Knight in this thing? Because LA Knight is still getting all the love and admiration, but um, I think they're saving Logan Paul for LA Knight or vice versa, LA Knight for Logan Paul at WrestleMania. I think that's still where we're going with this for the United States title. At least that's where I think we're going. Uh, next up, we have Bianca Belair with Shotzi, Charlotte in her corner, going against Kyrie Sane, who had damage control in her corner. Bianca Belair would win the match by pinfall by hitting Kyrie with the KOD to win the match. Now, the funny thing about this was that both parties' uh, groups would be escorted to the back earlier in the match. So you have Bianca Belair and Kyrie going at it one-on-one until later where you see Bianca getting the best of Kyrie. And at one point, both the ladies are outside of the ring. Bianca would throw Kyrie into the ring. And Bianca would get on the apron. The referee's checking on Kyrie. And Bailey, she would appear from the crowd and grab Bianca by her braid and, like, pull on it so Bianca will hit a flat bump or a flat back onto the apron. And then Bailey would roll Bianca into the ring. 
Kyrie would get up. Bailey's cheering on Kyrie. Kyrie's still a little hesitant of Bailey because, as was already constantly being uh, told, the last time Kyrie was in WWE, like her last legit appearance, Bailey was the one attacking Kyrie to send her out. So you can kind of tell that Kyrie still don't got some trust issues with Bailey, but Bailey's telling Kyrie, hey, I'm here for you. I got you. And Bailey and Kyrie would clap pants, like high five. Kyrie would go out to do the insane elbow, but Bianca would get up, forearm her. This would lead into Bianca hitting Kyrie with the KOD. Now, Bailey was not around when Damage Control got ejected from ringside because she didn't come out with the team because the world champion EOS guy would tell Bailey to stay in the back. So with Bailey being out here and I can see EO being more frustrated with Bailey next week on SmackDown because she told Bailey to stay in the back, but Bailey ultimately in the end did not. She did not follow the orders of EO. So I can see that being an issue. And again, I like the story of what they're telling with Dam's control. At first, it was Bailey, Dakota, and EO, and it was basically Dakota and EO following under Bailey. But now, with EO being the women's champion, it seems like she has a big inflated ego now, especially since she got her friends, Kyrie and Oscar, right by her side. Dakota basically being the mouthpiece for them. Bailey's just not needed. They kicked Bailey off to the curb. So I can see EO being much more authoritative with Bailey next week. But again, I feel that's where the story's going, but we'll have to wait and see next week. Now, on to the main segment. We have both the Raw manager, general manager, Adam Pierce, and the SmackDown general manager, Nick Aldis, out here in the ring because both men are trying to sign Randy Orton to exclusive contracts to their respective brands. So Randy will come out. Randy is still enjoying the adulation from the people, getting the love, getting the feedback. He's enjoying all of it. You can see it in his face. It's time to get down to business. Both general managers are talking over each other, and they're promising things to Randy. Adam Pierce, he would promise Randy, the number one contender to the World Heavyweight Championship, whoever wins out of Seth and Jay on Raw. While Nick Aldis, he would promise Randy something that Randy wants. And that's the bloodline. So you see Nick offer this up to Randy. Randy's hearing both uh, promises and he's enticed by this. But Paul Heyman will come out. Paul Heyman will say, listen, you're not going to be able to make a decision because the bloodline is going to make the decision for you. Roman Reigns is not here, but Sol Sokoa and Jimmy Uso are. And they will come down to the ring. And they will beat up on Randy. At first, Randy has it under control. It's two on one. Randy's able to do his business, but the numbers game is still the numbers game. Two on one. Both guys are beating up on Randy until LA Knight would run down to the ring and make the save. LA Knight would focus on Solo Sokoa, and this would have LA Knight and Solo uh, fighting one another up to the ramp to the back. This will leave Randy with Jimmy, and Randy would take care of Jimmy. He would hit him with the DDT. Hanging DDT from the middle rope. And then hit him with the RKO. Once Randy does that. He goes over to Adam Pierce And Nick Aldis tells them to hand him the contracts. And now Randy has both of the contracts. He looks at Paul Heyman. He throws the raw contract out of the ring. And starts signing the SmackDown contract. He tells Paul to let uh, Roman know. That daddy's back. So 
Randy's a part of SmackDown. And oh yeah, before SmackDown did end, he would RKO Nick Aldis as well. So I expect Randy Orton probably to feel some uh feel some punishment from Nick Aldis next week, because I don't think Nick's gonna let that go. And is there anything else for SmackDown? Oh yeah. CM Punk. CM Punk's gonna be on SmackDown next week as well. And SmackDown next week will uh be a special tribute to the troops edition. So that's what to be looked forward to next week on SmackDown. So with that, that's your SmackDown wrestling highlights of the week. Now, moving over to AEW Rampage, we start off with an eight-person tag, Dark Order and 2.0, going against Orange Cassidy, Hook, Danhausen, and Trent Peretta. Hook, Orange Cassidy, Trent Peretta, and uh, Danhausen would win the match when Danhausen would roll up Matt Menard while Hook has Angelo Parker in the Red Room to win the match. Solid eight-man tag to open up the show. Next up, we will have a trios match. Don Callis' family, which consists of Powerhouse Hobbs, Kyle Fletcher, and Kanosuke Takeshita going against three scrubs. Don Callis' family would win the match when all three guys would hit their finish. Powerhouse Hobbs would hit the World Strongest Slam. Kanosuke Takeshita would hit the Kryptonite Crunch. And Kyle Fletcher would hit a Tombstone Piledriver. After the match, Don Callis would hit a microphone. And again, this is all to say that the Don Callis family is running AEW, and more precisely, they're going to take out Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho because Don has beef with both of those guys. So that was why Don Callis had the microphone after the match. Next up, another trios match. We have the team of Anna Jay, Soraya, and Ruby Soho going against Hikaru Shida, Sky Blue, and Chris Statlander. Chris Statlander, Sky Blue, and Hikaru Shida would win the match by a pinfall when Ruby Soho would accidentally superkick Anna Jay. Chris Statlander then would grab Ruby, hit her with an electric chair drop. This was set up Sky Blue to hit Cold Blue to win the match. Now the interesting or the story going into this trios match is that Anna Jay, Ruby have some beef because Angelo Parker, who is part of a group with Anna Jay, has been focusing too much on Ruby Soho and not Anna to help her win her matches and Anna is upset with this. Soraya, she's been trying to team up with Matt Menard to make sure Ruby and Angelo Parker do not get together. So you have that going into this match. And with Ruby accidentally super kicking Anna Jay, this is only going to make things much more hostile between Anna and Ruby and also Soraya and Ruby because Soraya is not liking that Ruby is just being completely. Uh, not focused, so we'll probably get more into that next week on Rampage or even on Dynamite. Now we go to the main event. It's a trios matchup. It is Pentagon Commander and Vikingo going against Brian Cage and the War Horseman. Penta, Vikingo, and Commander would win the match by pinfall thanks to misfire from the War Horseman's Anthony Henry onto Brian Cage. For Brian Cage will be holding, I believe, Commander. Anthony Henry would try to look to hit a Insiguri, but Commander would duck his head, and that would have Anthony Henry hit Brian Cage. Brian Cage would not take kindly to that misfire, and he would hit Anthony Henry with a discus clothesline. And you would see J.D. Drake come in and try to like talk to Brian Cage, but Brian Cage would push Drake off of him, and this would allow Commander to hit a uh, Trouble in Paradise onto uh, J.D. Drake, Brian Cage will walk to the back, and then you would see, basically, Pentagon hit Anthony Henry with Fear Factor. Commander would hit a walk the rope shooting star press. 
and then Vikingo would end it with a 6.30 senton to win the match, and that's how AEW Rampage would go off. So that was your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I do want to talk about one thing that popped up this past week. Um, it was more CM Punk news, but not really his news. It was more about Brian Danielson and AEW. It came out this week that Brian Danielson was a part of the disciplinary committee that happened to give CM Punk his release from AEW. Um, it came out this week, and Brian Danielson would tweet out first, My dad always told me the right thing is often the hardest thing to do. It won't always make the most money. It won't always be the most popular, but it's still the right thing. Now, when that tweet came out, everybody was trying to figure out what, what is that? What's going on? So once the reports start coming out about Brian Danielson being part of this disciplinary committee, Brian Danielson would show up on a CBS sports radio show and they would ask Brian Danielson point blank about it, and Brian Danielson would give his response to it. I'm a part of the disciplinary committee, and uh, and clearly, what happened has happened. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm somebody who I I like CM Punk. You know, I think he brought a lot to AEW while he was there. But you know, uh, the there's not a lot I can say about it, or that I really want to say about it. But yeah, I am a part of it. It's really funny because there is. You know how the internet is like it's like some people would say i was the head of the disciplinary committee and i'm like listen i mean uh there were more than three people involved in this decision but most of them were all lawyers to say that i was the head i don't even have a college degree right? <laughs> <laughs> i'm not in their boss and people around or anything like that it's like well okay you know so yeah but but yeah i i am part of the disciplinary committee was that difficult as someone who likes punk and is a friend of his? Was it difficult to be a part of that committee where the decision is that he should leave? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And as somebody who, you know, um, I, I, have, I have a lot of empathy and but you know, I'm, gr I'm grateful for the time he was able to spend in AEW. And, you know, he did a great job for us. And so, yeah, I wish him the best. Uh, in his future and i hope you know that his run there goes well so that was brian Danson's response to that so he did confirm he was a part of the disciplinary committee and you kind of guess what the rest of it um so brian Danson, i think he's well respected in the wrestling world i think he's a, a part of a list of guys that if you hate on brian Danson, you got a problem with yourself and the list consists of like ray mysterio kofi kingston biggie Xavier Woods, uh, Brian Davis, as I said before, and I'm probably missing some other guys, but like those guys are likeable guys from all across the board. They're they're just loved, and Brian Davis and him being a part of the disciplinary committee, him being a guy that's in AEW, that's a lot of those people in AEW actually do respect and they do admire for all his time of putting in the work, whether it be. Uh, in the ring or behind the scenes, all that type of stuff. Him being there, him being a part of the disciplinary committee, it was a respectful thing for him to be on there. And I think Punk knows Brian like a lot. They've trained together when they were in Ring of Honor. They've known each other since their Ring of Honor days and even their time in WWE. I mean, they're independent guys. They're Ring of Honor legit legends. There's no way that CM Punk felt a type of way to Brian. I don't believe that. I don't believe none of that. Some 
report would say that CM Punk had a problem with Brian. I don't believe that. Those two guys have too much respect. I believe that Punk is cool with Brian the same way he's cool with Samoa Joe and all that good stuff. Um, but Brian, you can tell he has feelings for Punk. He still loves Punk. He still likes Punk. That's still his buddy. And I just think it was real unfortunate what went down at the end of CM Punk's like time in AEW. But CM Punk's now in WWE. It was just kind of weird how that just started to pop up. That like knowing who's a part of disciplinary committing and Brian Danielson being like a name just throw out there for that. It was weird because that type of stuff never ever gets put out. When Punk got released, when Tony Khan came out, you would get all these reports of what happened and this and that, yada, yada, yada. Never ever who's part of the board for that disciplinary committee. But now since Punk's in WWE, he made his debut on Survivor Series last weekend in that gave WWE the most social media buzz it's ever had, and they are, like, citing this and touting this as literally the greatest WWE return in history. It was kind of weird that now that Punk coming back to WWE, you just find out, like, who's a part of the disciplinary committee, and Brian Danielson's part of that. And that was, like, the big name. It was kind of weird, but, hey, man, wrestling is wrestling, and people get information thrown out to them left and right. These, uh, people that report on it, hey, some people might say it's circumstantial, it just happens to be that it was time for it to come out, or that somebody just spoke to a reporter, say, hey, we gotta get this out, I don't know what it was, but it was just weird, and the timing was very, very coincidence, but, hey man, it is what it is, WWE has punked, I think punk's gonna do good in WWE, as I said before earlier, the first promo back that he went here with the I'm home thing, okay, that wasn't what we all wanted, but, hey man, I think he's saving more of his special sauce promos for whenever he actually get into it with some of the people that don't like him being there. But, again, Punk's there at WWE. They're doing great business with Punk. He was part of their top merch sellers. Uh, literally, he was their top merch seller in three barometers with the children, the youth, the women, and the men. Like, one, two, three, and then it was some other people behind him, but... That's already telling you WWE's doing business with Punk and his t-shirts, Point Blank, and his merchandise. That's great. AEW, they're still doing good with their stuff. They got great storylines going on. They got people uh, loving Swerve. They got this content of the classic stuff that's happening over there. They got multiple things over there in AEW as well. So AEW isn't, uh, is not in the pits. So, again, both companies are doing well. I think this is just part of the course. But, again, just to have this... A uh, bit of information come out about who was on the disciplinary committee, Brian Danielson being on it. It was kind of weird, but hey, it is what it is. Now, with all that being said, that was your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I hope you guys have a great Saturday or a great Sunday or when you ever listen to this. I hope you just have a great day. I want you to remember I do have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow. It's when I talk about everything that went down in the news cycle this past week. So if you want to listen to that, just be advised tomorrow you have a chance to listen to that as well if not hey man you'll hear from me again wednesday for the midweek breakdown or next saturday for your wrestling highlights of the week so with that this has been my two cents podcast wrestling highlights of the week i love you all i'll speak to you guys later